Hello, Slavo. Hello, Paz. How are you? Doing well. Doing well. What uh, what's on the docket for today? Well, I'm glad you asked. Today we're going to discuss Christopher Columbus, the Italian explorer. In our following conversation, we will first discuss how Columbus's voyages came to be. We will then take a deep dive into his first voyage and also touch on his following voyages. There were four. We will discuss how history has came to interpret the ambitious adventurer and of course, take a few somewhat relevant detours along the way. Let us begin with a potentially telling quote from the Admiral of the Ocean Sea himself. <clears throat> For the execution of the voyage to the Indies, I did not make use of intelligence, mathematics, or maps. Land ho! <laughs> Christopher Columbus, uh, a man who needs no introduction, but very, very controversial. What uh, what'd you know about him before, before reading and looking into him? Well, you know the, uh, the 1492 Columbus sailed the ocean blue rings true in all of our heads. The, the famous quote, right. uh, I feel like I just stole that from you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you just mentioned it. Uh, <laughs> no, it's it's just it's it's the content. It's just got to be out there. It's got to be out there. Um, yeah, I think everyone kind of grew up and they found out about Columbus. It's part of our early American history, and then as we've gotten older and kind of more enlightened, I think everyone just kind of just generally hears that Columbus was a bad guy, but doesn't really necessarily know why. Yeah. It was kind of where, where I stood on it. I, like I knew Columbus day was not a good day to be celebrating <laughs> that it should be indigenous people's day, but um, we didn't like exactly know why he was um, such a fallen character in history. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. For me, same thing. You learn about him in grade school. Uh, as as from, from what I remember, and this turns out to be wrong, I thought he landed on like Plymouth Rock or <laughs> – and then I, I thought he discovered – like I thought he landed in the U.S., discovered the U.S. He proved that the world wasn't flat um, because, you know, uh, that's what I knew from grade school, that whole – discoverer and then of course now it's in the news uh, people post about it on social media you know the schools are changing to indigenous people's day and that whole controversy and i didn't really know what it's about but of course i knew it was about um the native americans and you know taking their land and whatever else wrong um they did and now you know now I know a little bit more specifically. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Of course, I laughed when you when you were saying that like you thought he like landed in America and uh, on Plymouth Rock, but then I like the Nina, the Penta, and the Santa Maria. I thought those ones were at Plymouth Rock. <laughs> Dude, yeah. What is Plymouth Rock famous for? What? Who landed there? That's where the that's where the colonists came. Mm -hmm. First colony from. See, this is like our ultimate. This is like the ultimate like bastardization of history for <laughs> Americans. 
that was where the first British colony was from. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and as far as whether or not the, the British settled before, like the French did in Canada or the yeah. British Canada, I don't, I don't know if that's necessarily true, but I, that's the significance of Plymouth Rock, that Plymouth was the first English colony in the United States. Interesting. Interesting. Um, all right. So it all started for this infamous figure, 1451 in Genoa, Italy. Um, he was born as to a basket weave and a, a wool merchant. So very humble means, which mm. I think nowadays people like to play up. If you come from a humble background, you got rags to riches type of story. But in that time, Columbus and probably people in general, they were you know, ashamed or tried to hide their modest means. Mm-hmm. And you're, you're like born into being noble. It's not like you earn it as it is. I feel like nowadays you can have that, you know, you started from humble, you worked your way to. Um, yeah. You kind of get, you get respect both ways. Whereas yeah. back then, and I feel like in uh, Genoa specifically, they had like all sorts of people who were like that. They were all about, it was a very um, acclaimed uh, sailing city. They had all yeah. sorts of learners that came from there and they all kind of had that gung ho um, rags to riches kind of mentality about them mm-hmm. where a lot of them did their sailing for, uh, other countries paid them to do it. Like it wasn't necessarily, they weren't, they weren't sailing in the name of Italy. They were sailing yeah. in the name of Spain and Portugal and England. Yeah. Yeah. And exactly. Like when, when he did end up looking for funding, he didn't look, you know, he wasn't, it wasn't, he's in, you know, born in Italy, but looked for funding from Portugal and, um, Spain. But before that, you know, he learned, he, he was a very good mariner, like at a young age, young now, I'm sure back then at the age of 14, everyone's getting into their trade. Um, but right away he was working on ships. Uh, it was mostly like commercial trading, that type of work. Um, mm-hmm. And, and there was uh, a significant event in 1476. So we're getting closer to that infamous 1492. But he was on a commercial ship that was attacked by French privateers. Uh, don't know what the difference between privateers is and pirates. Maybe it's sponsored by their government. But <laughs> the... <laughs> privateers. Oh, yeah. that's a funny name. <laughs> their ship was burned down and Columbus like swam to the Portuguese shore. I think legend has it. He used a board as a raft. Um, and then I believe because of this, he spends time in Portugal. Um, and again, 1476. So he's about 25 years old. It's kind of interesting that, you know, you get into a shipwreck and you're just, that, that's where you live now, Portugal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because, yeah, I mean, Portugal, Portugal, like all those countries around there, I've, they were all kind of battling in the name of like conquest. And there were like, there was all sorts of infighting going on. So there, I don't think there was a lot of crossing between countries. Just no. 
and which we which we kind of find out later um specifically with portugal um so it is kind of interesting that that yeah the columbus kind of just ends up in portugal and then yeah yeah enjoys his 20s (laughs) enjoys his 20s marries has a kid um she she died you know not too long after they married so it wasn't uh, too substantial in the arc of columbus um not to belittle the death of yeah, <laughs> yes, because getting married, having a child, and having your wife die. <laughs> but, well, yeah. In terms of Christopher Columbus, he, yeah, it is definitely not. <laughs> definitely a small part of this overarching story. Yeah. And I, what is probably more significant about Portugal is um, they were the epicenter for traveling and seafare in the day. I, I believe they discovered a lot of the routes along Africa and all that trading that was going on. Um, There's just Mm -hmm. a a lot of buzz in Portugal about, you know, mystical islands uh, would be like painted on the map. Um, Yeah. It it honestly reminds me of Lord of the Rings and Middle Earth. Like you, you don't know what's over there. You're, you're just like, you know, you hear stories about, you know, people with like one, one eye or, you know, just, yeah, they did a lot of traveling from Portugal because it's like it's on the western edge of Europe. And from Portugal, they did a lot of traveling north and then they did a lot of traveling south. But they basically said that if you went west, you would just never come back. Yeah. Or yeah. Happened. Yeah, exactly. For all they knew that could that was the the end of the earth was to the west. But but there was a lot of buzz in Portugal about going west. And I think, um, you know, Columbus latched onto that, uh, that exploration um, vibes. <laughs> yeah, he definitely, I think he saw kind of the glory. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And as we, as we found, Columbus was very much, he became more and more interested in glory and um, religious, uh, discovery in the name of his religion and glory in the name of his religion. And yeah. so I th- he took the most grandiose ideas and then decided that that was what he wanted to um, delve into for sure. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's extremely ambitious. Mm-hmm. And went to the Portugal King first uh, for their proposal the king rejects him, thinks he's like just a big talker, boastful. A lot of this is probably pretty accurate. You know, Columbus just had like more than anything, he's he's uh, he's a good mariner and he's just really ambitious. But um, as they found out, you know, as time would tell, all of his predictions on uh, where Asia was or what the sea trip would look like because that was the goal of the proposal it was Mm -hmm. to get to asia um going west and you know they heard of asia and genghis khan because of you know the silk road and marco polo's um who is another um italian but so marco polo's experience trading with uh establishing the trading routes with asia yeah, going yeah. 
east where he went through mm-hmm. an ocean and went that way. He went the eastern route. And Columbus kind of got fixated on this idea that he could that he would be the Marco Polo, that he would find the western route to yep. um I think it was called the Cathay is what they called China and that he would go and uh, establish trade, gold trade with, with the, the Chinese emperor. Yep. And it was a absolute obsession, which he never let go of. No, he did not. And so then he takes a proposal to the Spanish king and queen the Catholic monarchs, um, and again, his persistence. He gets rejected more than once. The conversation's ongoing. He comes back, gets rejected. He has very, part of him getting rejected is he has very strong demands. He wants one-tenth of all the riches. Um, I'll get back to that Anything in a second. <laughs> what was that? Anything he finds. He <laughs> He, he has all these outrageous names um, he, he demands, like titles, and they would be passed on to his, his heirs. Do you remember the titles? They, uh, they were like, uh, what were his titles? Um, like, the, the one that he wanted was uh, Admiral of the Ocean Sea. <laughs> that was like the one that he was kind of hell-bent on yeah. that was like the first title that he asked for yeah yeah such grandiose titles like viceroy like supreme leader those <laughs> yeah. those type of titles um and eventually the spanish king queen they they agreed they looked at it as a little risk and high reward yeah, in the book that I read, they were kind of, they were basically saying that the Spanish king and queen, Ferdinand and Isabella, that they, they had just been doing, um, they had just been conquesting Spain and just, and basically doing all these horrible um, kind of atrocities around Spain, like taking over Muslim communities in the name of Catholicism and evicting Muslims and Jews out of the, out of the country and sending them, <laughs> sending them East and just like taking over what we now consider modern Spain. And they were doing all this really like heavy conquesting in continental Spain. And this, this journey out to the the west it was kind of like a a welcome distraction to what it was it was cheaper than what they were doing uh they only needed a few ships and it was kind of a a fun diversion from from their other dealings that they've been doing at the time yeah and and all this talk like this is their risky part of their portfolio where they're doing um, you know, they're going to make a little small investment, hope for a big reward. It kind of demonstrates that this exploration, of course, was um, 
a large part of it was for the riches uh, in Columbus's case for the titles. It wasn't just as I imagine most exploring is, but it's not just for, you know, scientific exploration, discovery. No, you know, definitely not. Yeah, there was definitely supposed to be a return on investment. He was promising things the whole time, saying yeah. that he was going to return with trade treaties. He was going to return gold, um, things that he knew that the, the Spanish royal wanted. He was saying he was going to find them and was setting up the trip that his goal would be to find them. Yeah, yeah. And at first I would say he was driven by gold and it probably changed as time went on yeah I, I would say yeah very much driven by the the promise of gold the other thing i found kind of entertaining um was in these proposals about going west just the conversation seemed not very factual like there was some of the conversations, you know, they estimated, they're like, oh, the earth is, you know, some people didn't believe at that time the earth was round. It, it was, um, you know, I felt like well-established among certain, like most academics, but then you still have a religious component of people who believed it was flat. And so in, in these conversations, you know, they're arguing about whether or not the world is flat or round. And then if it's round, mm -hmm. Uh, the crown was saying, oh, well, it would take at least three years to get there. <laughs> and it just, it sounded like if you asked me how long it takes to get to Mars, and I have no idea, but because you're in this royal position, you just speak with such authority. And you're just like, oh, like Mars, that's two years away. It's crazy. But, you know, it's just... It's spot on, isn't it? How long does it take to get to Mars, do you know? Dude, two years. <laughs> I don't even know. If, if you time it right, you, you sh slingshot off the moon and then. What was the movie that they did that? That they, or was that real? See, now <laughs> I'm really catching myself out. Wasn't there a movie that they slingshot around the moon and then they shoot off? Is that Interstellar? Maybe. See? It sounds familiar. I, I think. Now I'm convinced it's real. Now I'm convinced that it's Elon Musk. That's his <laughs> idea. But I swear that's from like independent yeah. or something I, I think so something to do I with the gravitational pull all mixed up yeah it, but you know that's that's what the conversations were like <laughs> this level of <laughs> yeah, expertise on that level, i guess it's exactly like this conversation <laughs> but it, yeah it's crazy to think that they were having large conversations like that about things that are that are known like we can't go to the moon but but at the time um anybody with a ship could have gone to the americas they just were afraid to yeah exactly and um yeah other people did also land in the americas um and i even read that i believe the norse and i think there were like either maybe they were Icelandic or Germanic, but they even sent women there and tried to colonize at one point, but it, uh, I think they got killed or it, it didn't work out. I actually have information on this. I, I did some research on uh, 
on the true first North American explorers. This was one of my uh, Wikipedia deep for when I was researching Columbus. Um, So, and we talked about, and and we've discussed a a couple of the people on here. But, uh, so the first person who did any kind of Western travel was Eric the Red, who is the who was a Norse king, and um, the Vikings were in Iceland mainly. And so, in 986 AD, Eric the Red discovered Greenland. And then, what I thought was interesting was he named it Greenland. I don't know if this is common knowledge. It it was still a little surprising when I read it. But he named it Greenland to convince uh, people from Iceland to move there. I I have heard that. I feel like I always thought that was a joke. <laughs> but I mean, Wikipedia said it. They, it, they didn't <laughs> seem to be joking. <laughs> yeah. So and that was Eric the Red in 986 AD, and then they started colonizing Greenland, and then um, his son. Leif Erikson. Then, 14 years later, in 1000 AD, traveled further west and ended up in Canada. Mm. And they were in kind of the northern coast of uh, Canada in Newfoundland, which is interestingly was rediscovered later. Um, He created a settlement there. It was called Vinland. And Vinland lasted in Newfoundland from 1000 AD until like the 1350s. So for 300, 350 years, the Norse had a settlement in Newfoundland, Canada. Wow. And that was 150 years before anyone else arrived. Yeah. That, that the settlement ended. And then, um, yeah. So when so when the first, the real first kind of Europeans uh, travelers were were very much the Norse, the Vikings were the first ones there. Yeah, it's interesting how much earlier that happened. Like that's four hundred, five hundred years before Columbus. People. Yeah, it was like five hundred years. Yeah, and then a hundred years or so before, you know, they at that point it sounded like they already had a you know, some settlement for 300 years. That's, it's surprising. So they had a settlement for 300 years and then the settlement ended. And then England had a sponsored trip in 1497 where the English crown sent John Cabot, who's also from Italy. Mm -hmm. Cabot goes and discovers Newfoundland (laughs) 150 years after the settlement ended and the year, the continental Europeans, they didn't even know that the, that the Vikings had been there. Wow. So John Cabot discovers the same place that Leif Erikson discovered 150 years after the Vikings had been there for 300 years and is none the wiser. They didn't know until like, no, hundreds of years after that what a coincidence must just be the trade winds or the current brings you right to new 
if you look at a map and you look at where like England and Iceland match up on the, I guess it would be, is that longitudinal or latitudinal? Lat is latitudinal. horizontal, I believe. Yeah. So where they match up as far as north south, they are pretty even. So they went directly west, and that ends up in Newfoundland. Interesting. They ended up there. And Newfoundland kind of extends out east over the coast of like New England and um, Nova Scotia. Yeah. So it was kind of their straightest point. And when they go from, and if you look at from, this is, yeah, this is geography, more geography. In Newfoundland, and you are comparing that to Greenland, Newfoundland and Greenland are actually, relatively speaking, kind of close to each other. So presumably Leif Erikson was in Greenland and then traveled further, and that's how we got to Newfoundland. Like, it's not as far, but they, they kind of got halfway or however part of the way and then made, made the rest. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, interesting how history gets remembered. Um, and so this, uh, I have it up now, but this agreement, this proposal, it was called the Capitulation of Santa Fe. And, and the, the titles Columbus was after was, as you remembered, Admiral of the Ocean Sea, the Viceroy, and the Governor General. <laughs> Governor General. When you can't, you can't be just the governor or just the general. <laughs> um, yeah, and so this this marks the first voyage. He would have four voyages. Um, first one, most significant, and we'll probably spend a lot of time on there. So let's go into this first voyage. And they, mm -hmm. I mean, August of, of course, 1492, they took off from Palos port, uh, the three ships, which I also remember, and you mentioned earlier from grade school, the Nina, Pinta, and Santa Maria. And they had about 90, 90 men. These men, they were interpreters, royal, official, royal officials. And so interpreters for the, um, with the Asian languages, they thought they were venturing to. <laughs> uh, you know, carpenters, seamen, all the likes. And and speaking of how it's interesting how history remembers things, um, obviously Columbus gets remembered in America. I think they have a statue of him in Barcelona. You know, the, mm -hmm. the country of Colombia is named after him. But in, Pal in Palos, where they uh, took off, they remember, like, I think his name is Martin Pinzon or Pinzon or something. Yeah, Pinzon. Yeah, they have a day for him in Palos. Really? <laughs> but That's then, yeah, but then, like, the United States of America, which was almost named after Columbus um, in District of Columbus, Washington, D.C., was named after him. He didn't even land in the U.S. <laughs> yet the port where it's just, I, I think it's, it's, not even close. <laughs> yeah, yeah, not even so close. far off. <laughs> it's, it's just interesting, I suppose, how uh, things get named. 
Yeah, not only that, he was Italian. So you think like an American society that is largely influenced by English culture. Yeah. Remembers an Italian flying for the span or er, uh, sailing for the Spanish crown <laughs> that landed not even in America. Yeah. That's who we credit with all the stuff in all of our history books. It's crazy. Yeah, it is crazy. Um, yeah, I feel like the social media influencers or people who are big into marketing they need to figure out what people did after, for Columbus because it worked out and okay right it would be it's 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 the town criers it's got to be who they mm-hmm. totally yeah, right yeah. <laughs> um yeah and so they got to well they they land in the bahamas but they got there and like not that long of time i believe it was two to three months um mm-hmm. which again makes me a little surprised other people you know, is that it wasn't done before Columbus, you know, by other European countries who had settlements. But regardless, he was um, in 1492, you know, Columbus and his men landed in the Bahamas. Um, it, it was, yeah, a small island in the Bahamas. And in the first encounter, and all of this was documented via Columbus. Um, cause obviously he's going on this big adventure. He's taking logs. Um, but so they pull up to, let's set the scene. They pull up to, you know, a small Island, the Bahamas, which first of all, the Bahamas are gorgeous. So, oh yeah. But n- none of his writing that I saw talked about that, but in my head, you know, it's clear water. Just, it looks like such a, a heaven type of place I'm, I'm surprised he didn't um but i mean you know his his sights weren't on that and so mm. the the native americans gathered at the beach um they had never before seen ships with sails they the they pull up the your uh columbus and his men i'm sure wave their flags announced through horns you know i, I think he claimed like rural over the territory. Of course, the Native Americans don't speak the language. No idea what he's saying. But in their interactions, they start communicating through signage, mm-hmm. which I imagine is just like playing charades. <laughs> yeah. The book that I read <laughs> basically said that there were so many miscommunications in the sign language that they were using, their interpretation. <laughs> like he would just he would basically just have ideas and then and wait for the sign language to confirm what he was thinking yeah exactly exactly and and so yeah one of the things he noted which again i don't know how true it is but he said the native americans thought they came from the heavens um yeah people from the sky yeah maybe you could charade that or maybe you know who knows what they're pointing to but um and so immediately trade occurred the native americans gave food javelins carrots the europeans gave you know some of the trinkets they had maybe the guns um 
and and during this time uh columbus you know it, observing these people he notably says they're naked um mm-hmm. and he, he immediately i mean he notices or he immediately notes that he thinks they could be good slaves and overpowered um right from the beginning and he thinks they would be susceptible to yeah immediately um and he thinks they would be susceptible to being converted to Christianity. Mm-hmm. Um, um, one one thing I want to note about the the trade, and I it, and it felt like it was a um, like a consistent thing throughout, was that the whole time na- the native people that they encountered were always so eager to trade and so eager to bring um, what amounted to be tributes in a lot of the situations. And every time Columbus would just be like, all right, we're going to give them uh, just a little trinket that we found. <laughs> and yeah. Yeah. No matter what they were brought, they would give. And it just, yeah, it just showed the difference in the people that were being encountered. He was really just there for exploitation and they were, excited that somebody was on their shore and like excited to um, share cultures with them. And he just had a completely different viewpoint on it. And he showed it in all of his diary entries that he was just, he was, it it was just a means to an end for him to get as much gold as possible. And he would just, he just kept just enough stuff that he could just give it to people and try to get them to give as much as he could possibly get. Yeah, absolutely. There was this air of superiority um and yeah he was you know he was looking to exploit for his own benefit another thing i thought was interesting he noticed you know right he said they were naked and not wearing clothes and because of that he assumed they didn't have religion um which is just is you know gives you more into his mindset of kind of the i suppose superiority um, and so this was in the Bahamas. After this, they traveled in the area. They reached Cuba and Haiti, had similar encounters. Um, and then I believe this is off of Haiti. The Santa Maria crashes into a coral, a coral reef. Um, mm-hmm. I believe this happens at night and, you know, the, the, some young man on watch got everyone up. Um, uh, the chief in the era in the area, who I'm definitely going to mispronounce his name, Guacanagari. Eh, sounded pretty good. Nailed it. <laughs> uh, the chief he helped sent canoes at night, and what came of all this is they set up a camp there called La Navidad and they decided to take the other two ships, go back to Spain, show them, you know, what they discovered and to set up the camp, they used the wood and all the material from the boat. Mm -hmm. And it was actually amongst the men, it was very desirable to stay and they had to, like pull lots or pick randomly who would actually have to go back and back to Spain. 
Um, yeah, because I mean, you're in this beautiful place and you get to be kind of the ruler of this new fortress that has been created, or yeah. you have their three month journey back to Spain. And then who knows what is going to happen after that. Um, yeah. yeah. The goal, the, the search of gold, they didn't really find that much. And once the shipwreck happened, uh, I think Columbus, that was kind of the first moment where Columbus kind of switched his tune from the search of gold to this kind of conquest colonization strategy. He kind of um, used it as a way to, instead of that he made this huge error, which is what it was, because the reason that the, the ship sank was because they had this part, they basically threw a party and everybody was drunk. <laughs> and the guy who was supposed to be steering the ship was drunk. So he just had this kid watch the uh, wheel for him. And then the kid ran the, ran the ship aground onto a coral reef. So uh, he then somehow capitalized on that situation to then make it into change his whole goal into being conquest. And that, that was the pitch he was going to give back in Spain yeah. when he returned. Yeah, no, exactly. He went and initially he saw some of the Native Americans with gold earrings and they went on, like you mentioned, quests to look for this gold, mine for this gold. They even sent out a mission to go and find uh, like the Asian king, um, you know, thinking they landed in, in, in Asia. Yeah, the, the whole time thinking that they were either in Japan or China. Yeah. And Columbus is in in his diary basically just talking about how he how he's either in Japan how he's in Asia yeah he's on the Asian coast and they're they're trying to find the mainland so that they can go begin the trade with um with with the Chinese uh leader yeah yeah and and yeah. then when they yeah and then when they don't have all this gold um like you're saying he knows the crown wants a prophet. He feels, I mean, he wants the prophet and he realizes that can come through slavery. Um, and yeah, like you said, it, it changed, um, it changed his goal and, you know, obviously very unfortunate for. Uh, yeah. And this was like, this was the moment that the pivot happened to me because when I started researching him and up until this point it was kind of so the narrative that I went into the story with which was that he did these things but was actually a horrible person and I didn't really know too much beyond that mm -hmm. so through his first voyage you're reading about it and you kind of you don't think he's a good guy for sure. Mm -hmm. He's ambitious. He takes advantage of people. He's taking advantage of the people that he meets when he gets there. But it was kind of in line with the Spanish government at the time. Mm -hmm. It at that point it was kind of well, he he's definitely not a good person, but it seems like there weren't that people were just generally not good in yeah. In his business at that time it was when 
the um, the whole uh, these folks would make good slaves. Mm -hmm. Setting up the fortress as trying to make it into almost like a slavery trading post. Mm -hmm. And when he made that pivot, that was where he went like straight evil. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> It was really horrible. Oh, it, it, that was the it, moment for me. I was like, "Oh man, <laughs> this guy." He yeah. was bad news for everyone. Yeah, I I agree. I went into it thinking it was more um, an error or a, a you know a morality issue of the time. I was just thinking because obviously before three hundred years ago, slavery was abundant in every civilization across the globe, every civilization before say 300, go, 300 years ago, um, obviously is a bit of a large generaliz generalization, but if similar, if, if a group of people, they have their, they cap, they capture people or they have prisoners, you know, it was common just to, you know, put them to work and make them become slaves as opposed to killing them or leaving them in captivity. So I, mm -hmm. I went into this wondering, you know, yeah, thinking Columbus was more, um, it was more of an era of the times, but, and then we'll get more into it, but um, Columbus in himself was, you know, he really pushed for the slavery and all of that to happen. It, it definitely yeah. did not have he to did. be this. Yeah, he did. He pushed for it. And as we'll touch on. Yeah. Nobody wanted him to. Yeah, <laughs> there, exactly. Nobody agreed with him yep. in what they were doing. They, it was not in line with the values of uh, of the people who sent him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, and, and up until this point that we've discussed so far, it, there hasn't been any big clashes um, with any of the indigenous populations, mm -hmm. but on their way home with the two ships, um, one of them stopped in the Dominican Republic. Uh, and I, I believe it was two, two or three uh, Europeans were uh, on, the, uh, on the beach and the, and the Native Americans came up to them. They like signed for a bit walked away, came back with um, some type of cord, and the Europeans uh, thought they were trying to tie up, tie them up, thought the Native Americans were trying to tie the, these Europeans up, so they lashed out with swords, and this is, you know, I think the first clash that is documented. Um, mm -hmm. And then, yeah, I, I, I believe I don't believe there are any deaths, at least not immediately. No, I don't think so. I don't uh, think first. Yeah. In the first voyage, um, there was, yeah, there was some conflict because there was, like, one of the Pinzon brothers, he kind of um, was kind of rebellious as time went on, and his ship kind of went away and then came back, never got, um, he kind of left their uh, traveling party for a little bit yeah and then came back but there, it never got um, too acrimonious mm -hmm. 
uh, violence standpoint. It, it was acrimonious for yeah. sure from like a violence standpoint. There was no open rebellion or fighting for fighting against any of the, the native people. Yeah. And, and so this, and, and that's, you know, what I read as well. And so, which makes this next point interesting or confusing is, so on their trip back, they bring a bunch of stuff as proof and just because it has value from the lands they quote unquote discovered. And among those, right, they brought some foreign animals, you know, some jewels, a little bit of gold, but they brought some captured Native Americans. Mm-hmm. And so I always wonder how they cite uh, that the skirmish in the Dominican Republic as the first clash. Like, how did they get those Native Americans? Were they given as trade from the Native Americans? Were they captured? Like, the, to me, that sounds like that there would be a clash there if you're taking slaves back to Spain. But so, what I think is that when they're when they're near shore and people are coming out to do trade and kind of give tribute to them, because the native um, people were very uh, excited to see the Europeans, they wanted to see them and they wanted to, to trade with them. And, and I think that they just, like some people got on the boat and they, they just didn't let them leave. Yeah. No, there was no skirmish about it because they're getting on the boat a couple people at a time. And I think, yeah, I think they, they just keep them and yeah. they say, getting off the boat. We're just going to leave. Mm-hmm. And it, it reminds me another thing worth noting. So these the people they first encountered in the Bahamas, I, I think through a lot of this area, a lot of this area, but definitely the Bahamas uh, were Tainos, Indi- uh, Native Americans, excuse me, Indians as uh, Columbus coined them. But these Tainos, Native Americans, um, they had scars. And when they were signing to the Europeans, they were pointing, you know, across the sea. I think uh, the Caribs um, mm-hmm. were like a, another indigenous population that would had a lot of conflict with the Tainos and would, um, that's where those Native Americans got those scars. At least that's what they, you know, was signed. Um, Yeah. And that they were, um, there was kind of like this air of this mysterious, the mysterious Caribs Mm -hmm. who uh, were cannibals Mm -hmm. and would, attack there was always this impending fear of attack but it never happened on the first voyage yeah no it it didn't um yeah and and they were described very much as cannibals Uh, who knows how much truth is is there um and so they get back to spain on the way there they they you know their ships were breaking down they had to port in Portugal, which was kind of ironic because the king turned him down. I think they were jailed for a little bit, yada, yada, yada. They get back to Spain and uh, Columbus is treated handsomely. When he sees the king and queen, they put him on a seat next to them, which is something they only do for esteemed lords. At this point, Columbus is his most famous and most revered he will ever be. 
yeah. during his for lifetime. Sure. Yeah, for sure. The, the fears that he had about the fact that he didn't find as much gold as he thought, he was afraid that he, since he didn't find these gold mines, that he was going to go back and they weren't going to be as impressed with what he found, which is how he kind of, which is why he came back and said, I have, I have settled a, I've created a settlement in, in Asia. <laughs> <laughs> and, and we need to go back so we can establish trade. And that was basically how he pitched it. And he also, like, he exaggerated pretty much everything that he yeah. did to make it sound like it was the most impressive thing that he could have possibly done. Like, he exaggerated the amount of gold. He exaggerated yeah. um, everything about it. So he was welcomed. He, he set it up so that he would be welcomed as well as possible. Oh, yeah. It, and exactly like you're saying, he exaggerated the gold. Yeah, it's something else. And so this leads us to um, voyages two through four, which we'll kind of more or less clump them together. But the, the second voyage, and we'll just, you know, share stories from those voyages. But the second voyage, the intent was clear. They were going to send 17 ships, I think 12,000 people, and they wanted to build a few towns, three to four, and mine for gold. And this goes back to Columbus and, you know, just exaggerating what they found in these mystical lands, explaining that, oh, maybe we didn't bring back a lot of gold, but there's a ton of gold there, you know, not to mention uh, a labor source. Um, mm -hmm. and, and I believe um, that, yeah. And, and so another thing that was implemented by Columbus, and it wasn't, I believe it wasn't implemented for the crown or by anyone else, but um, was kind of urged on by him was uh, Ecomienda. And so this was for the second voyage where um, by law, they wanted to take native families and they would belong or be commended to a colonist who was responsible for these Native Americans conversion to Christianity mm. and that and their assimilation into the colonial order. Um, and, and this was something that it wasn't a goal from the crowns or the powers that be above Columbus. Um, he was the the main advocate for uh, this this system. Um, yeah, he was a he was a pretty religious guy. Yeah. So he he always was, um, and sometimes it was tough to tell whether or not he was using the religion as like a justification for what he was doing. Mm -hmm. If he was doing things to satisfy his re religious desires. So there were times that he was, um, it felt like he was trying to conquest in the name of Christianity. Mm -hmm. And then there were other times where it felt like he was conquesting and then was trying to use Christianity as Christianity is just the reason to do it. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, I mean, he had, 
like a few mistresses. Um, it, I believe he, he sounded pretty sincere and that he thought he had, you know, divine power or the, his discovery of the Americas was, you know, through divine intervention. He, he seemed um, pretty religious, um, mm-hmm. probably to, to a fault, but I mean, he just, he shaped it for his, you know, his selfish um, conquests and the like. Mm. But yeah, so yeah, so they they take these seventeen ships. Mm-hmm. They, it's like he comes back with two of the three original ships, and, and it's like, all right, I did really well out there, and then gets seventeen ships for his next trip. They basically spared no expense. He could name anything. He got all the titles he wanted. He he got everything that he, all the crazy things that he wanted going into the first voyage that he barely got the ability to do. Mm-hmm. Got all of them and then some for the second voyage. Mm-hmm. Return back to start his, uh, to start his colony, basically. Yeah. And, and I mean, um, it, it was a very monumental discovery, of course, or I don't know, I, I guess discovery, I don't think the people encounter, I think makes more sense, but the encounter and it established it connected the two worlds um or or these two worlds you know Mm -hmm. europe from the east to um the america americas to the west it it was i mean a very monumental moment and after this those two worlds are very connected in the future histories are are very connected so it, it was a very monumental moment um and it, it definitely, I mean, notwithstanding the fact that Columbus didn't actually realize what he was discovering, mm-hmm. he was wrong. He, he maintained throughout multiple voyages that he was in, that he was in Eastern Asia and was, was trying to get to mainland Asia the whole time and did not know what he had discovered. Um, with that said, the fact that he was so persistent mm-hmm. that he, um, he took this small first voyage and then turned it into a larger second voyage and then created this kind of arms race in Western Europe to travel out to this land. He landed in Portugal and bragged to the Portuguese king what he found and then um it kind of sparked europe to and um in the whole time he was bragging to the portuguese king because he didn't want to be arrested yeah yeah. the whole time it was under by accident basically that he was doing all these things but his unintended consequences were um absolutely monumental for, for modern history absolutely and another thing worth mentioning, so the Spanish crown, they never uh, formally agreed that it was Asia. Um, they just refer to it as like the Western lands or the lands of the West. So Super I, I think, vague about it. Yeah, I, I, I think, you know, most people involved at that time 
you know, weren't as gung-ho that it was Asia as, you know, Columbus believed or wanted to believe. He really wanted it to be true. Yeah. He really And then, so on this second voyage, uh, their first stop in the Americas was back to their La Navidad fort. And before you go any further, I don't know if, for anybody listening, you have to assume that nothing good has happened at this fort <laughs> while he was gone, right? Yeah. <laughs> when I was reading about this and they were setting up this fort, and I was thinking about the fact that I had never heard of La Navidad, <laughs> there's no way that this ended well. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, it, it did not. <laughs> Um, they get they arrive at Laminat at, at night some Native Americans immediately come out to them on canoe and they're like oh, you know just a little heads up there's been a little sickness and death but you know every, everything's okay and the next morning they go investigate um, the European fort and the Tainos town were burned down um, they found some bodies of the Europeans all the Europeans are dead. Eventually, a brother of this chief, Guacaganari, again, impressed I, how I could pronounce that. Um, not not uh-huh. pronouncing, but so a brother of this chief um, explained to them that after they left, there was some quarreling, some fighting. They split, they raided, um, and then a neighboring tribe got mad and tur- torched the area. Some of them tried to swim away and drowned. Um, it just, you know, I, I don't think we'll ever know exactly what happened, but it sounds like it, it went to shit and it went to shit fast. <laughs> yeah, they definitely, there was a power struggle between the Europeans that were left. Yeah. And then they all just kind of started power grabbing and then they all got killed. Yeah. Yeah. So an unfortunate end for that one. Yeah. And so they leave and they go to the Dominican Republic and they establish the first planned European town. Uh, And again, the goal was to establish this town and they would send people out who would try to mine for gold. Um, but, but during this, there was, and, and this, you know, um, I guess is where it, it really all begins, perhaps, but they got wind, they got rumor that an indigenous population was um, gathering to attack. So preemptively, Columbus ordered an a- attack of 400 people on their uh, fort. And after this, there were retaliations, and this just led to all-out war um, in, in the DR. Yeah, and at the time, one, one thing to note, at the time, they, um, the Dominican Republic and Haiti, which make up one island, mm-hmm. the Dominican Republic is the eastern side, and, the, and Haiti is the western side. They, um, at the time, the island, they called it Hispaniola. Mm-hmm. Um, I just wanted to get that in there. 
Yeah. Yeah. Back. Yeah. And, yeah. And they did not find the gold they wanted. They weren't able to set up other towns. Um, and, they ended, and they ended up sending uh, the 17 ships back because they needed more food and supplies. And again, this is Columbus being wary that, you know, he's not making a return on the investment. He doesn't have gold. He's promised all these, he made huge promises. Um, so he gathered up 1.6 uh, Tainos Indians to give to the crown. Um, 1.6,000. Yeah, 1,600. Uh, men, women, children. I think they ended up giving like 500 of the crown. They took some for themselves, just released the rest. Um, and again, this is the point where it hits you. The crown at this point is not asking for these slaves. This is really Columbus's doing. Um, yeah, it's his idea. And it's because he, when he goes with the first, and it kind of it sounds foolish when you think about it the second time. Because the first time, it's him in three ships. And it ends up being two ships. There's only, he comes back with 65, 70 people. The second time around, he's going with 17 ships. And a lot of the people that went that were captaining the other ships are noblemen mm -hmm. and are really respected people in society. So they're all watching what he's doing. Yeah. And I think despite the fact that they, he was a gifted mariner for sure. Like he displayed a lot of skills throughout where he like, he would, he would operate on hunches and he was right a lot of the times. But at the same time, the, the things, the concrete things that he was saying that he was doing out there and that, that he was finding, um, he didn't really find or do. And, and there were a lot of people there on the second voyage that were going to be able to confirm that he was, that his story, whatever he came back saying. And this attests to that his men didn't did not like him either. He was not a popular leader. Um, and we'll see in the future there was actual mutiny, but he, he yeah he, he was good on the ocean um, and traveling, mm -hmm. but he, he did not make good decisions and he was not a a good leader in any sense. Um, yeah, and I guess to give, uh, I, it's one thing to, you know, describe that, you know, they had slavery and they took advantage of the Native Americans, but sometimes stories better, give a better picture. Um, and so sometimes he, he would divide up the woman for his men to rape. Um, and, and one of the men described a woman who wasn't consenting uh, and she was using her nails. And so he had to beat her into sub submission until she no longer put up a fight. And, and this, uh, it, it was described so casually that you could see how prevalent this was. Um, and it, I think it gives you a, a bit of a sense into the brutality that was occurring. Um, 
Yeah, he basically scare tactics, brutality, mm-hmm. just horrible, horrible mistreatment were his leadership skill were his leadership attempts. Yeah. That was he tried to because he was the governor of yeah. the um of this settlement that he had created, the first settlement which had already been destroyed. And he was the governor of this land named by the Spanish crown. And his techniques for governing were really just horrible. Yeah. And throughout. Yeah. Even amongst his own men, you know, he had this power issue where if if you wronged him, um, you know, even like slightly or for smaller crimes, amongst his own men, he would uh, become very upset and ordered like, you know, cut off fingers, cut off hands for stealing, uh, that type of punishment. Um, so I was reading one that, so one story was that on one of the islands, I think it was Hispaniola, he had this tribute system with the natives where they all had like, where if you brought the Columbus, if you brought the Columbus um, settlement, if you brought them gold, you would get like a copper piece, like coin. Yeah. And then, and this reset every three months. So if you brought them gold, then you would get a copper coin. And the more copper coins that you got, the better treated you were. And if you didn't have any copper coins, they would just kill you. Yeah. And suicides among the native population were like astronomically high because it wasn't really gold on the island. Mm-hmm. No way to get it. And it was basically just tyranny. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, just horrible. Yeah, I think I remember in that story, one of the ways they would kill the Native Americans who didn't find enough gold is they would chop off their hands, arms, legs, and just let them bleed out. So this is potentially why these Native Americans are, you know, committing suicide. Is that is very terrible. And I think again, worth mentioning, um, this wasn't the the use of slaves was not pushed on him from the powers above him. In fact, in future voyages, the crown would send uh, royal members who were supposed to enforce that the Native Americans were treated um, better. But, you know, when you're months away on the sea, sending these these, uh, royal members, it it wasn't effective in at all preventing or diminishing but on the i think it was the third voyage he was removed as governor Mm -hmm. yeah one of the yeah kind of became and like his his stock was just going down and down and down Mm -hmm. after the second voyage they came back and a lot of people went to the crown with complaints yeah 
yeah, no, the the Columbus stock it peaked after the first voyage. Yeah, right upon return. And then it just tanked and just kept tanking, and you didn't think it could tank, and it, it just kept tanking. <laughs> For sure. Um, and I, I think, yeah, I think I believe it was the third voyage. Like you were saying, there was a mutiny, and he went back in chains. Like the crown got wind of what was going on, and they arrested him. I believe it was after the third voyage, and he was arrested in Spain for a short time. Yeah, um, jailed for a period. Yeah, yeah, and then so one interesting figure, um, and also the this is something I do remember from history class as well was the black legend the the spanish treatment of the indigenous population um was so horrific it it got a term called the black legend which was named by the other um some other european nations um so it was you know it was a even amongst you know the imperialist they were notably mm-hmm. horrific yeah, for sure. One interesting figure from this time was a uh, um, De Las Casas. The um, he was a priest who went initially because you know he thought there was profit things to gain there, um, mm-hmm. and then he saw what was going on, converted, and he became a huge advocate for the. Native Americans and better treatment, um, which is good credit to him. Yeah, there's definitely there were definitely figures that um, were much better than Columbus at the time. Like within the vacuum of the period, mm-hmm. there were much more progressive figures yeah. surrounding Columbus. Yeah, and and I I was honestly a little surprised that the Spanish king and queen were, um, you know, opposed to the treatment, and Columbus was trying to convince them by by saying, oh, they're cannibals, you know, and not not really wording it as slavery, wording it, you know, more of the sense like, oh, they work for us, you know, we're converting Mm -hmm. them to Christianity, Uh, but I was surprised there was that pushback, because, you know, in, in my head, during that time period, uh, slavery was extremely common. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah. And, and then the, just along in terms of like the war and the destruction, one of the other big things was the diseases. The Native Americans hadn't built up the immunity to smallpox, measles, um, and so diseases played a huge role in, you know, mm-hmm. wiping out the the indigenous people in the area. Yeah, which is a lot of destruction was certainly brought. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah. And, and there, there are stories that even before um, different Europeans would get to the a, a, a new tribe, there would be communication from, um, you know, people running to that tribe, telling them of what is coming. And before the Europeans would come, 
they would already be destroyed because that the messengers carried the diseases. Um, yeah, that is crazy. And, and the diseases, you know, some people estimate wiped out like 30, 40, even more percentage of the indigenous populations in these areas, which is just unreal numbers. Um, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. Especially given the, the time this is occurring when, you know, we have the, the, the coronavirus and that mortality rate is, you know, probably around 1%, maybe less, maybe more, but. Yeah, dev absolutely devastating on so many levels for the yeah. indigenous population. Once, once they kind of, once the European settlement kind of gained a foothold. Yep. Yep. And, and I, I do believe there, there is a possibility that if someone else and, and it was not Columbus had landed and set the tone and maybe found other uses for the land, um, other resources that weren't the people, it, it could have been a, a lot different. Yeah, potentially. Yeah. Um, and then, so his final voyage was like, you know, the crown wasn't really invested. It was more just like, all right, you know what, here you go. Like, he had just been released from jail. <laughs> and yeah, yeah. Um, that he should be able to go again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's pretty, uh, I, I mean, it speaks to his uh, coercion skills. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I believe this was a voyage, maybe it was one before, but he actually discovers, you know, not just the islands, but the continent of South America. Yep. Um, Venezuela, and then I think along to Costa Rica and Panama. Mm -hmm. So we go down to Venezuela and then over to Costa Rica and Panama. Yep. And this whole time, like at this point within the Caribbean islands, he is like, he, he, he's not even allowed port at <laughs> Yeah. At these islands, because the 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 new governors that are there won't even let him dock there, because that's how hated he is. Yeah, yeah. Again, it's interesting because the the fame and notoriety came after for Columbus. Besides, you know, after his first voyage, and eventually, on this voyage, they end up stranded on Jamaica, and they have mm -hmm. to beg for help. And the nearby colonialists you know, saved him after a year begrudgingly. Yeah, didn't want to help him. Wanted yeah. to save him. Um, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think he said after the fact that, that that was his greatest voyage of all of them. Really? Um, yeah, he said it was like his most grand voyage. The goal of that one was to uh, was to it was not for the gold. It was to find that there was like this rumor of a way to get to the Indian Ocean. Again, the Indian Ocean. There was a way to get to the Indian Ocean from over yeah. there. <laughs> and um, and so that was his goal. So he kind of like went up the went up South America trying to find a route west and didn't find it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which that, yeah. 
as a uh, as kind of a deluge. I have a so we keep talk we we keep talking about uh, how he was so wrong with this with this assumption that he was in Asia the whole time. Yeah. But I did some research and I focused specifically on geography, and I found a few other. Uh, completely incorrect theories related to geography that were eventually proved incorrect. Interesting. Could, could I guess any of these not knowing? Like are these? There's one. So I have four. Mm -hmm. There's one that you're going to guess. We've already talked about it. And the other three, there's no way. All right. It, let's hear them. I'm not even sure the one I'm supposed to know. <laughs> the Well, the first one is the flat earth theory. Oh, oh. So yeah, this is still for debate. <laughs> still, still for debate. Um, and if you if you Google flat Earth theory, there's on there's like a picture. Somebody drew a map, and it's like it's ridiculous. It's literally like a block, and it's got the globe. And it's pretty interesting what they do with the globe to make it seem like it's legit. Ooh. But then on the edges, it just extends out, and then it's like. Um, it's like a piece of wood. And so it like goes down an inch and there's just edges on the side. And of course the map just puts like angels on the edges. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm looking at it now. And like you said, it's like a square, it goes into a little basin and then you have like the spherical top of the earth. Yeah, so they made it look pretty interesting, but um, yeah, clearly disproven. <laughs> Um, so that's that's the big one and then um, but I found some some less originally I was I was looking for just general superseded theories and then there were so many that I just had narrowed it down to geography in particular <laughs> so the next one is the island of California Ooh, what? so there was belief in the 17th and 18th century that um, Baja California, which is like extends from Cal, like from California south in Mexico, and then there's the um, there's like uh, it's like a peninsula, and then there's a Gulf next to it. There was belief in the 17th and 18th century that that the northern point of that was not actually connected to continental North America, and that it was an island. Oh, interesting. Yeah, that was disproven. But there are maps that you can look up that um, show an island of California, Baja California, as an island. Yeah, look it up. Um, another one. There's the open polar sea. For whatever reason, people thought that uh, the North Pole was surrounded by a, a, a non-ice sea. So it was under this misconception that ice was near land. Mm. So they figured like the further north that you went, eventually the ice would stop and there would be like a sea there. So people would try to, would try to take ships um, to the North Pole, thinking that like an, and of course it's like, it's just a sheet of ice. Yeah. But they thought that you could just, that it, there was a sea up there beyond the ice. Yeah, so like you plunge through enough ice and then you're going to be just like this circle of sea. 
at the North. I don't Park. know. Yeah, exactly. I don't know if they thought that like they could go around it. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. It it didn't work out. And then the last one, um, Terra Australis, which is um, so this was from the 15th to the 18th centuries. There are maps that show this, and um, there, there was a belief that the landmass in the northern hemisphere and the southern hemisphere had to be equal of the globe. <laughs> Humans so, like their symmetry. <laughs> so when they drew, they drew a map, and because there's more land on the northern hemisphere than the southern hemisphere, they just made like Antarctica really big, so that it would, so that the two sides would be proportionate. Yeah. So that was another um, <laughs> geographical idea that was eventually proved false. <laughs> crazy and yeah we're at we're at an advantage now with all these satellites and you know we can we have Doesn't all the flat yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> satellites are overrated yeah yeah um that's yeah that's a whole other thing <laughs> it, and and so yeah what's kind of interesting right after all this discussion we've been in like basically the Caribbean, a little bit of South America, yet Columbus becomes this huge figure in America, in, in the United States of America. Um, and this was largely because at the time U.S. was separating itself from colonial rule, he became a symbol. He was a pioneer. He was a rags to riches figure who wasn't treated kindly by the crown. And I think at this mm -hmm. time, the crown was kind of giving credit to, what was that British explorer you mentioned who, like John Cabot? Yeah, John Cabot. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, Britain was trying to say he discovered the Americas. And so the U.S. kind of cling to this uh, Christopher Columbus pioneer figure who was against the crown. Everything they were reading was very generous towards him because one of the biggest uh, biographies on Christopher Columbus was written by his son, not to mention mm -hmm. his own writings. Um, and so then he, yeah. you know, he becomes this huge figure for the U.S., a huge symbol. And, you know, you get Columbia University, you get District of Columbia. They almost named, you know, the country Columbia. Like, like they almost named the United States with uh, as Columbia or in honor of Columbus. Obviously, the other country, Columbia, got named after him. But it's, you know, interesting very interesting but yeah he probably didn't deserve it <laughs> and it, it's tough because you really don't like the guy no he just seems like a horrible person to be around like everything about him was horrible but the but at the same time, you can't understate the amount of influence that he had with what and he did. Absolutely. That, that connection between the two worlds. And now the name Columbia has a whole different meaning. Like when you think of Columbia University or the country, it has no real relevance to Christopher Columbus. Mm. Uh, but, yeah. 
Isn't that when they say that your brand like really, your brand <laughs> really traded into the community where people don't even realize that that that's what it is. Exactly. Yeah. That's where he's at. People in marketing, they need to they need to study this trajectory. Any, yeah. any... When did he die? <laughs> when did he die? All right, I'll look up the exact date, but I believe it was like 15 years after his first. Yeah, he was like, he was considered like an old sailor. And that was because he was in his like 40s. I think he died when he was like 50. Yeah, he, he died in 1506. Um, so I think he set sail, you know, when he was about 26 in 1492. Um, but yeah, his death was actually, I mean, we, we touched upon it in a previous episode. It may have been because of syphilis, but, um, during his first voyage, he thought he had gout. He had, it, it was some lingering disease where he would go blinds for a short period of time. He had a ton of health issues and eventually, um, 14 years after his first voyage, he, he would die from that. Um, but yeah, I think that, uh, that pretty much covers it for me. Do you have any other Columbus thoughts you want to give? Nope, I think. Do you want to, do you want to do the, uh, do you want to do the places, the places that you would like to discover? Ooh, all right. Yeah, let's do it. Uh, so we're going to do, we're going to do places that you would like to discover. If you were the first person to see you have no knowledge of this place existing. And then you are the first person, we'll say, in honor of um, not disrespecting the native people, we'll say the first person from your culture that you know of to, to discover this, this area, which would it be? Who gets the first pick? You can go first. All right, I'm gonna take a ton of liberty with this question. <laughs> Great. And uh, for the first pick of the Explorers Draft in 2020, I choose Jurassic World. <laughs> like, yeah. isn't it an island? So, like, yeah. But you know, yeah. I know I'm taking a ton of liberties here. But imagine that, like, going to an island, seeing dinosaurs. It's probably a death wish, but. That's like the dinosaurs, in my opinion, are the peak of exploration and just like history and unique things. Oh, that's such a better answer than mine. It's <laughs> oh, so good. Although, I mean, it's fictional, so you could argue that, that that's normal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, this. <laughs> um, I have so many choices that I'm. I'm just gonna keep going when you run out. Uh, I'm going to take, just because I think it's probably on your list, I'm going to take the Grand Canyon. Oh, I, I thought about it. Not on my list, but no, that's that's a good one. Lewis and Clark, right? They were the discoverers, I think. No, no. <laughs> they could be a good person to research. But. Yeah. <laughs> another time, another time. Uh, um, another one that I really like, Mount Fuji in Japan. Mm-hmm. 
So gigantic mountain, beautiful Japanese landscape. I feel like yeah. it'd be a great thing to see. Yeah, it's so so big. I'm looking at it. You can see it from so far away. It's so big. Yeah. So just imagine like emerging from the trees and seeing Mount Fuji off yep. the distance. Yeah. And your journey begins. All right. So here's one. I think this is like a an honest one. Uh, Hawaii. Imagine coming to an island. It's gorgeous yeah. all the time. There's volcanoes. There's like a rainforest. That would be a a good one to, to a good one. on. And just never leave. Yeah, exactly. Hawaii is a super good one. And then on that, on, well, maybe not on that note. I was thinking Mount Everest, slash the Matterhorn, which is in Switzerland. Matterhorn. You might have to look up the Matterhorn. It's basically just like a cool looking mountain. You you like your mountains. I do like my mountains, I guess to a certain point. (laughs) I like not being at sea level. <laughs> the Grand Canyon. Yeah, no. Matterhorn looks like a Lord of the Rings, very steep mountain. Yes. Yeah. Just very cool architectural or uh, archaeological structure. Yeah. Another one I think worth mentioning um, would be Mars. I mean, it's very topical. It's probably the next next big exploration for humanity. I personally cool. wouldn't actually want to, but it, interesting. I, I think by the time I don't know, I think in the next ten to fifteen years, we'll have good enough VR that we'll probably go to Mars. Yeah. No, and, and that's the interesting thing is like, I feel like the trip to Mars, and maybe um wrong but i think that will be more planned you'll have a, they'll have a better idea what they're getting themselves into than these people with columbus where they just went to the west you know who knows what is out there yeah it's just straight up unknown yeah yeah um so the, the clips of more the clips of more oh yeah in ireland but i have a stipulation that it's only if i discover them by land so I have to be in inland Ireland and then oh. going out. Because I think yeah. it's way cooler to arrive on the coast and see that the coast is that than it is to like come in by boat and then see the landmass. Absolutely. Yeah. That's a that's a good point. Imagine that going across and all of a sudden you're looking down and you're like just massive cliffs. Yeah, like the world Grand just space. ends. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that'd be interesting. Crazy. Do you have any other ones? Nope, nope. I have two more. <laughs> um, Northern Lights. So, oh, yeah. which is not necessarily a, a specific place, but just seeing the Northern Lights for the first time, I think would be uh, pretty cool. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then um, this one's not as much a discovery because, like, I mean, there's so many people that live in, like, this kind of a climate, but... Uh, the last one I put was just the jungle. <laughs> yeah, like, I just think it would be cool to encounter the jungle for the first time. And I've never been in the jungle, but I think eventually in my life when I do go to the jungle, it'll be like a wild experience. So Yeah. No, the jungle, yeah, again, the jungle goes in the category of it has to kind of be a death wish. Yeah. I'm terrified of insects. And 
scorpions and snakes. Yeah, so absolutely it, it actually is a death wish for me going to the jungle. <laughs> but I'm going right, to do well, it. If I ever hear you're making a, a trip to the jungle, I'll make sure to say my goodbyes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I think that's a wrap. Until next time. Until next time.